Logan, everyone I met. Lachlan, thanks for joining us for this, the latest edition of Speak of the Devils, our podcast focused on all things hockey, all things devils. And it is my pleasure to welcome Amanda Stein, my co-host, my friend uh, to the podcast. I hate that term, co-host. Like, why am I the host and you the co-host? We're both. No, co-hosts. no, yeah, like you, no, you're allowed to be. But I did like how you added my friend. Like, I, yes. I, I like that. You know, gotten to know you over these past few years, and I consider Absolutely. you a friend. So everyone knows that you are Canadian by birth, and you love the Great White North. But you have had a chance to spend American Thanksgivings uh, lately, or spend time celebrating American Thanksgivings this year, a little different than others. How was this year's holiday for you? Uh, Maddie, my Thanksgiving was my Thanksgiving. Number two was, uh, really nice. I had a little bit of Turkey and I just sort of like dabbled in everything. My plan this year was to just sort of go easy, but really enjoy. And I got to spend some time with, um, a bunch of people from the content team and by a bunch, I mean, just a couple. Um, it was really nice to spend time with, uh, Blaine Sayers and Chris Westcott and, uh, Mark Ciampa and just sort of, you know, get together with some people who I work with and who I see on a screen all the time. It's nice to see people um, in person in a responsible way. So, uh, but it it is weird for me to celebrate Thanksgiving in November. It's a little strange. Well, Canadians celebrated in October and it's similar in terms of a holiday. It's a day off and it's a day of family and it's a day of celebration. Like the food, like the, the the meals that you eat, it's still turkey and stuffing and all that stuff. So that didn't change. No, thank goodness. Uh, spending <laughs> some time enjoying ourselves, one of the few pleasures we have, it seems, these days. But on to better things. The devil's looking ahead to when play will resume. And there's a lot of interest in what the devils will look like this year under a new coach with some new players and maybe some prospects banging on that door they may kick that door in and make the club this year and i think um this particular person might come crashing through the door (laughs) given his size and his skating and his strength you know he might not just like open the door he'll you know run right through it well a little later on on the podcast we'll hear from a sled hockey player who has won a gold medal For now, we will kick off this edition of Speak of the Devils with a gold medal winner from Canada's World Junior Championship team this past winter as we welcome Kevin Ball to the show. Kevin Ball, it's awfully exciting to get a chance to speak with you. I know our Devils fans are very excited about what you ultimately will bring to the table. Let me ask you this. You stopped play in March. The OHL shuts down. The sports world shuts down. The world shuts down because of the pandemic. And now you're preparing for a season that you're not really sure when it begins. What has the last eight and a half, nine months been like for you? Um, it's just been a lot of a lot of training and just a lot of ice time. Like I really haven't uh, been up to much, obviously. And it's just uh, you know, go to the gym, go to the rink, and then head home and just. Uh, it's it's literally that every day. So um, kind of just got to stick with the process and just keep it going. And, you know. What's been the benefit of that, being able to focus on the physical side? And then what's been the negative, do you think, because we'll find out, about not being able to be on the ice as much as you would like? And then the mind and body preparing for a season. And again, we're not sure when. It will be soon, but we're not sure exactly 
Yeah, I definitely think it's a positive being able to prepare your body and just physically develop. But um, there's definitely that aspect of just playing games and, you know, being able to be in that, uh, you, know, you, you get at a certain level when you're playing games, you get into that mindset, you get into that comfort zone a bit and just uh, feeling out everything. So it's definitely going to be very interesting playing that first game and just feeling out uh, how guys are, how fast everything is and everything like that. And certainly it must have been an added blow because with, you know, the Ottawa 67s, you guys were doing so well down the stretch there. You had 50 plus or 50 wins, just 11 losses. I mean, how disappointing was it to see that all come to a crashing halt? Yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. There was, uh, it was, it was very disappointing, honestly. And, um, so we all had to go home within a couple of days. You can really hang out. Like a lot of the, uh, we're all like good buddies over there too, or we're, and uh, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, it was definitely crushing. It was definitely crushing. For you, where do you see your first game being played? Will it be Binghamton? Will it be with the New Jersey Devils? What's the mindset at this point? Um, it's, it's just uh, right now is literally just keep on getting better. Like I don't, I don't really think about that. It's just, uh, you know, be, be as good as I possibly can be. And, uh, you know, that's about it. Just stick to the process. And I haven't really thought about anything like that. Well, I'm going to have to call a little bit of a foul here because we spoke with Ken Danico not too long ago uh, for this podcast series. And he said he had lunch with you and uh, Riley Walsh and Nikita Ahotchuk. And he said the thing he liked about those three was they – they had personality. They weren't leaning on the cliches. They want to make their mark, which is how Dano was. Like Dano had believed that he and is. And is at 18 <laughs> that he was the best defenseman on the Devils. And that feeling didn't go away for a long time, even on a roster that was peopled with Hall of Famers. So I get it that you just want to improve. But I would trust your goal is to show the coaching staff that you've got what it takes to play in the NHL from day one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, obviously that's that's definitely the goal. But you can't. Uh, my thing is like I I don't ever I don't like to talk about stuff like that. It's more of you got to go out there and you just gotta you gotta show what you got. You you know what I mean? You can't you can't just talk. You gotta you gotta perform, and that's what it's really about. So you know, I could I could just sit up here and say a bunch of stuff and then uh, be horrible, <laughs> and then I uh, wouldn't look very good. But you know, it's uh, it's more about performance and, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't like to talk about stuff like that. It's more about just going out there and performing. So in terms of going out there and performing, I was looking at your numbers in the OHL and your first two years certainly offensively weren't like your last two years where you really put up some big numbers. So what was the fundamental change there for you? Uh, was it, you know, just experience alone? But, you know, in the last two years, 34 and 31 points before that, you know, 18 and four points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, for me personally, it was just like finding opportunities to jump up in the rush. Like mm -hmm. being a younger guy and the type of team we had in those first two years, we were more of uh, like, we weren't scoring a lot. It was more just, you know, get a deep grind out the opponents. Uh, right. That was more of our ment mentality and just being a young guy as well. You gotta, you gotta be pretty strict on defense if you want to play. So that was another thing. But you know, you get older, you get a bit more experience. We had a really deep forward core, so it uh, definitely made it a bit easier to find opportunities to just pitch in. But um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's the biggest difference there. 
And, you know, we should mention of your Ottawa 67s team is that you're there with, or you were there with a lot of other guys who are in the New Jersey Devils system. You think of Graham, Clark, Nikita that uh, Matt mentioned before. I miss it. Anyways, there's, you know, there was a bunch of you. Was that kind of fun too? Just sort of being involved with these guys that you've, you've been with? Yeah, it was definitely very interesting because <laughs> I already knew a lot of guys there. And uh, they obviously love the Ottawa organization. It's very interesting. And um, no, it was good. But it was just kind of like that comfort, comfort level. Yeah. You know a couple of guys. So it definitely will make it a bit easier. But um, yeah, it was, it was nice for sure. Do you take issue with the term defensive defenseman? And is there an upside, as you just addressed, and the reasons why, that right now some experts, quote unquote, are not seeing? because you are considered a quintessential defensive defenseman, which, by the way, the world needs plenty of those too. But uh, is there more upside than, than you are given credit for? Yeah, I don't uh, – I wouldn't consider myself like just a shutdown defenseman. That's all I do. I think uh, a lot of offenses created from the defensive zone, just, you know, keeping things simple, uh, creating three-on-twos from the back end, stuff like that. And um, – you know, I don't, I, th- I think, uh, personally, I, f- I feel like everybody's kind of transitioning to being more like two-way. Everybody has to be able to play two-way. So that's definitely a thing that I focus on. And um, like, I've been trying to do those last couple seasons, right? So I think that that's the goal, be more two-way. But two-way doesn't mean you're you're jumping up in the rush, being super offensive or carrying the puck all the way in. It's more, uh, again, just keeping it simple, creating three-on-twos from your own end, Um playing defensively sound and then just pitching at, pitching in when you have to. doesn't have to be every shift, right? Are there current players in the NHL that you sort of particularly watch that you just want to see how they do certain things in certain situations on the ice that you feel you can relate to? Yeah, I, I like – I like well, like, sorry, I like watching, like, bigger guys. Like, yeah. I like watching uh, Colton Preco. who's very interesting because he's, like, a big mobile guy. So I liked uh, watching him. Brandon Carlo on uh, Boston. I liked watching him as well. Another big mobile guy. So like, I like watching those like bigger mobile defensemen who can, you know, they can uh, transition from uh, defense to offense pretty quickly and just like keep it simple sound. Right. Yeah. And then also you consider, you know, you're one of the bigger guys, you're taller, you're heavier, but what I hear from other people who have skated alongside you, whether it's in a game or practice or whatnot, is that you're a really good skater too. And that, you know, you can surprise just how well your skating is. And I was looking up some research on that and you've worked with a skating coach. Was that deliberate just knowing how, you know, big you are to be Mm -hmm. able to have that extra mobility? Yeah, definitely. Like being younger, the focus was always just being like, uh, like focus, focusing on athleticism, whether that's in the gym or, uh, being with the skating coach, that was definitely the biggest thing. So, uh, you know, being a bigger guy, obviously it's pretty hard and, uh, you know, the big guys that make it, they have to be mobile. So it was definitely the biggest focus for me. What sort of things do you do with a skating coach, especially for someone your side? Like what, what, what were, what were those focuses? The focuses were, um, you know, keeping the knees over the toes, stuff like that. And then, again, just keeping low, keeping low. And uh, a big thing for, like, guys that are that are taller is uh, the leg strength. So just right. uh, being in the gym, stuff like that. Core strength as well is another big one. Uh, you were listed at 240 and 6'7", and you're still 240. Have you put a little 
a little on. Yeah, I'm, I'm around there. And then, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I'm six foot seven, but, uh, <laughs> somewhere around there, probably six foot six, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, that's still pretty good. Okay. Wait, I have a question about your height. Then I also read a story that before you went to Ottawa to move in with, I think it's your current or your, your last billet, you went to go check out the bed to make sure that it was long enough. Yeah, I had a, I had to go definitely check the, to make sure the bed was long enough. <laughs> and everything was well. I mean, I just love that because not everyone has to think about that. <laughs> Norma Lapointe was your billet, correct? Uh, when you were in Ottawa most recently? Just the last year, yes. So uh, you you were listed again. Uh, we do this research. And so there's some places, Hockey DB or Hockey Reference lists you as being from New Westminster, British Columbia and others that say uh, Mississauga. So one or the other is right. What's the story? I know you play for the Toronto Marlboros, and so you're a GTO guy, but what's the story there? Uh, I used to live in British Columbia when I was really, really young, and then uh, family moved when I was like around four or five-ish to Toronto, Mississauga actually, but Toronto area. So I've just been uh, i been there ever since, and uh, that's where home base is. Which, of course, is why you also were playing uh, in the OHL. Why? Uh, what's it like to grow up in a hotbed like Toronto, where uh, you know other sports are getting a toehold? Basketball is very popular. The Raptors winning a championship not too long ago, but you know hockey is the thing. What is that like for a young kid? It's uh, it's bit, like it's fun. Honestly, it's the most competitive league that. Uh, I've been in because you got four or five of at least top teams who are competing every year. And they, I'd say there's about two or three that can, that have the highest chance, but there's about five, six that are right in there. And then you see these, some of these other leagues where it's just one team and then they're just, you know, they're annihilating everybody, but then they come to these tournaments and, you know, again, they're very competitive, but I'd say it's, it's definitely the most competitive league. Everybody comes in from, you know, Northern Ontario from guys from Ottawa, they, they moved there to play stuff like that. So even guys coming from the state. So it's, it's pretty crazy for me. That's the, that's definitely the hub. What are some of your early memories of playing hockey? Um, so I don't know, <laughs> like, honestly, I couldn't even really tell you just going to the summer tournaments, like winter tournaments. Um, I don't know. It's, it's it kind of it's kind of like a blur now just because it it passed so quickly. But the the best memories were definitely those tournaments and going to the rink. You're playing like two three games a day. You're just uh, going to the <laughs> what is it called the shop or whatever. Go get a bagel before your game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about the first time you were on skates? Like, how early were you were you out there? What do you mean? Like, like were you just like play like that? Your parents put you on skates. It's, I think it was like six years old, ish, okay. something like yeah. that. And is hockey something that's like in your family? I know like you're Canadian, so am I. So it's sort of just like part of the general life experience. But was that something big in your family? Yeah, no. My dad, uh, my dad never played hockey. Neither did my mom. But uh, my dad was definitely a big fan growing up. He was. Uh, he, he went to a bunch of Vancouver games, stuff like that. So he was definitely a big fan. So when I was younger, I was. Uh, was watching those Sedin twins because he had the <laughs> Vancouver genetics in him. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, were you a Leafs fan because you pretty much grew up in the Toronto area or did you sort of follow dad to the Canucks? Yeah, I, I was Canucks fan. And then I just, I wanted to, uh, I, I always wanted Canadian teams in just because they're, yep. uh, 
They're always on CBC, so I was always rooting for, for a Canadian team. So it didn't really matter as long as the home country was well represented. And you right. w- helped uh, represent the country well in the World Juniors last year, winning a gold medal. Take me through the intermission, second intermission against Russia, gold medal game. They've beaten you early, 6 nothing. They're up 3-1 now, and you've got 20 minutes left. You mount this incredible comeback and win. Mm-hmm. What was it like? What was the discussion like during that second intermission as this is it? Like we're either going to be silver or we're going to be gold. Um, honestly, I, I couldn't even really tell you what the discussion was, uh, if there was any at all. Or, but what I remember was everybody was just super dialed in. Like everybody was super focused. It was a dead silence for a couple minutes before the coach came in. And then everybody, you know what I mean? Like everybody just had that laser focus. We weren't even playing like we were down 3-1. It was just like 0-0. Zero, zero you know, who's better, like that mentality when you're competing regardless of the score. But yeah, no, that was, uh, that was definitely crazy. It was, uh, it was a different mindset collectively as a team. It was, uh, it was crazy. Just looking back and watching the videos is insane. <laughs> Have you watched that game start to finish a few times? Uh, I've watched like six times. It's awesome. Wow. <laughs> and the nice thing is the ending never changes. Canada wins four to three, but you score late to uh to win four to three um with less than four minutes to go was there a point in that third period when the feeling on the bench was now we've got them on the run a little bit things have started to turn our way if we continue to play this way it will it will come out victorious for us no we uh there was that feeling of just like we were gonna win regardless for sure that like that was the feeling i had the only thing was like we just got to keep on pushing, keep on pushing, keep on pushing, and you know that's what we did. The bench was always positive, very gr- good uh, group of guys. Like, you know, big thing for that tournament is guys wanting ice time. They they all play like 20, 30 minutes on their teams, so um, you know, just having a role and just uh, being a positive guy, uh, allowing guys to play certain roles is definitely a big thing. Um, you know, I think when. Like I've been part of certain teams where there's obviously people that they wanted more and they kind of sucked down a couple other guys because they're talking negatively, but there was absolutely none of that. Like everybody, everybody loved each, loved each other. It was, uh, no, it was definitely a fantastic time. There was no nagging about ice time or anything like that. What was the challenge then for you? Or maybe it wasn't, maybe it was more for others, but because of the fact that this is a collection of stars, but different roles have to be uh, understood. You, you're not going to get all the minutes as a forward. You're not going to be out there all the time defensively necessarily. You've just got to be part of a team effort. Marty Brodeur has related that to the Olympics too, where these stars come together and the first line center has to play a checking line role. And that's just the way it goes. What was it like for team Canada and you in the world juniors? Again, it was that, it was that same type of thing. Uh, any guy in that team is, is, was literally a first liner, you know, top player on any team in the, in the Canadian hockey league or, you know, so it was definitely a big thing at the start was everybody understanding that. Like there was definitely conversations about that, which were, uh, which were big and it was good just that everybody understood that. Right. So no, it was, I can't imagine if we, uh, you know, if there was that people didn't really understand that and they weren't understanding their role, uh, maybe things would have turned out differently just because how big the mental aspect is and, uh, you know, team chemistry. But it was uh, it was a really good team and it was fun to be a part of. You know, 
I know as a Canadian myself how important that tournament is to the country, how big it's really become. And I often wonder what type of pressure that might feel like for, you know, guys who are teenagers and I would, does it really feel like you've got the country on your shoulders there? Because it's a big deal when, when they win and it's a really big deal when they don't come home with gold. So I'm wondering if that's something that's talked about with Hockey Canada and how you felt when you had accomplished what you went there to accomplish. Oh yeah. I was definitely talked about and like the aspect of social media was definitely talked about as well. Right. Um, that was one of the big things, just staying off your phone, especially at night. And, uh, you know, they, t- they take it away for a reason, just so you're not on it, tweaking out the whole time. But, uh, yeah, a big one was when we lost to Russia. Uh, we lost, I forget what the score was, but we lost pretty badly. And, you know, a big one was like nobody was looking at their phones after that one just because they know they know it's nothing positive there. But, uh, you know, de- bouncing back from that, just uh, it showed that, what the character a lot of these guys had, right? So Was that the first time you've had your phone taken away from you through hockey? No, the, every every Hockey Canada thing I've went to, it's the same thing. But, you know, it's good. It's for good cause. Uh, I think I've won two medals now with Hockey Canada. So it's, you know, I don't care. Take my phone as long as I get gold. <laughs> No, Matt was interested in the phone thing. Well, yeah. So, Lindy Ruff will take it away and the Devils will win a Stanley Cup, obviously. <laughs> There's a connection between you not having your phone and team success. But I did want to ask because, look, we're all connected, right, for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that phone is right next to you. And we're always checking messages. We're checking Twitter. We're looking at Instagram, et cetera. So what's it like to have it taken away from you? And I reference it because just over the weekend, my wife and I watched – uh, the documentary Social Dilemma, and that's one of the features of the of the uh, documentary surrounding a faux family, but indicating what goes on in a lot of homes. And the phone was taken away, and I don't want to give away too much, but it's part of the documentary. So what was it like not to be as connected as you normally are? Um, it's definitely a big, It's uh, sorry, it's definitely a really uh, good thing to stay away from it. Uh, I'd relate it to kind of like quarantine or self-isolating you know like there's really nothing to do so just staying on your phone or laptop is like all really anybody does so I'm trying lately to kind of like stay away from that kind of thing and uh you know find something to do but it's it's definitely pretty it's definitely pretty damn hard so uh yeah but it it definitely helps I'd say especially just for sleeping because you know it's hard to get to sleep when you got your phone going off you got 20 people texting you and you know, it's, uh, it's definitely pretty tough to go to sleep. So just like, then again, like sleeping, making sure you get like that eight, nine hours instead of getting like seven because you're stuck on your phone. So it sounds like you adapted to that pretty easily. You weren't like, where is my phone? I need to find out what's going on right now all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, at at the start, you're definitely like, Oh my goodness, I wish I could text this person or look at this or whatever. But now, at the end of the day, it's kind of a good thing. It just shows how uh, dependent we are on uh, these devices. So what else do you like to do for a good time besides improve your your game? Uh, what's Kevin Ball like in terms of outside interests? Um, this summer was a big cottage summer just because it's kind of like a bubble up there so we could see our buddies and stuff. And uh, because everybody kind of lived up there, they don't, they don't go down in the city or anything. So it was nice to do that. 
But um, yeah, this uh, this summer was a bit tough, but uh, it was it was definitely uh, one of the more fun ones for me, just because I could go up there, I could see all my friends and stuff, and it was uh, definitely a good time still. But cottage is a big one for me, definitely. And then um, I guess just hanging out with friends and stuff. There's a uh, I don't know, I don't know what else I do really. <laughs> hanging out with friends is a good thing. Fishing uh, while you're at the cottage is that uh, something you like to do, or is it just chill, hang on out, the swim? Wakeboard? On the wakeboard. I don't know. Fishing when I was younger. I don't know. I don't have the temperament for it now. It's just. uh, (laughs) It's too slow. Yeah. Ice fishing really sucks. I remember (laughs) I did that for seven hours. Didn't catch anything. (laughs) Just sitting there in the cold. Uh, Yeah. I had that same experience with Chico Resch in Minnesota once. You're right. Ice fishing is a little overblown. Although we did catch a lot of uh, crappies and they were delicious uh, at, at another site. Anyway, so fishing out. So then what do you do for fun? Again, just like hang out with friends and stuff. What do you like in the summer? Yeah, do you golf? Uh, you know, I don't know. I tried to get into golfing a bit this summer, but it was again, it was just tough. I'm not, uh, I'm not too good at golf. I tried, but very inconsistent. I think it's the clubs though, but uh, we'll find out. I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I get it because. I, I know cottage life too, as well. You know, you're just sort of like hanging out. You don't really have any plans. Really, yeah, you never do anything, but they're like the most fun times because I don't know what type of cottage you have, but you know, being on a lake, someone might come by on their boat and just say hi and hang out on the dock. It's really like a quintessential part of Canadian life, particularly yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah, for people that don't like know what it's like to have a cottage, it's literally just sitting on your patio or deck or dock or whatever, and then somebody just comes, says hi, and they hang out for four hours, and you just find out something. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's exactly what it is. Yeah, but it's it's awesome. It's uh, it's very fun. The connection up there is not really good, so that's one of the benefits. <laughs> Do you have any pets? I have a dog and a cat. Oh, okay. So who are they? What are their names? Uh, Dakota. And then uh, forget the cat's name because my mom has some. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Obviously, you're a dog person more than a cat person, I would say. I don't know. Like, dogs are <laughs> annoying, you know? They just, they just come up to, you, to your feet and want to get pet and stuff. So the cats are a bit more independent. I kind of like it. I don't have to see <laughs> Just put a little food in the bowl and walk away. I don't see him for three days. <laughs> they have an independent streak. There's no question about it. I'm more of a dog guy myself. Uh, so I kind of understand uh, your philosophy there. Mm-hmm. What kind of dog is Dakota? She's a golden doodle. She's more of like, um, like I, I don't know anything about dogs really, but a golden doodle, that's what my parents said it was. So. <laughs> Um, So that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Whatever your parents say. I want to go back to that uh, conversation that Matt was talking about when you were able to have lunch with Ken Danico and a couple of your teammates. What was that like for you knowing, you know, A, the career that he had, how important he is to the Devils franchise, Mm -hmm. and just being able to pick someone's brain? What was that like for you in that type of intimate setting with your two teammates and, and Dano? It was really fun because uh, he's he's very outgoing and he's very funny and he's got a lot of awesome stories. And uh, no, that was that was uh, that was an awesome time. And uh, no, it's definitely something special just because like all the experience he has and you just kind of soak it in. And I don't know, it's it's awesome. What was like the the maybe the thing that really stood out, maybe on the funnier side that he he told you guys because <laughs> he's a funny guy. <laughs> no, he had like. Uh, 
he had like 10, 15 different stories. I, there was, there's some funny story about someone using a bike in a sauna or something before each game. I don't even. Maddie shaking his head. Uh, that was Claude Lemieux. Claude Lemieux was, was big at that. Uh, the, 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 so somebody uh, like passed out or something in the sauna on a bike. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to say who that was, but Claude Lemieux was very big on having a bike in the sauna, but I'm not sure that that was him. But nonetheless, yes, Dano has plenty of those. Might have been Dano himself. You never know because Lord knows uh, the, the man The man lives a large life. Uh, so he also said, though, when we were talking to him, that he imparted you know some of the lessons he learned from like someone like the great Larry Robinson, who... Uh, was an assistant coach on the Devils' first Stanley Cup championship team, head coach on their second, and obviously uh, has multiple cups from his time with the Canadiens and most recently with St. Louis. So uh, the man knows about winning. What were some of the on-ice lessons did you take away from the conversation? Um, There was one story relating to just, um, you know, playing a role and – you know, to win and be on a successful team, that's that's got a shot every year. You you got to accept uh, the playing time and stuff like that, and just knowing that you could you could be on another team, play more, but the team's not necessarily going to be as successful. So that was a, definitely a big thing, and it kind of reminded me of like hockey Canada, that same kind of uh, concept. So that was definitely a very interesting one to hear about. And I be, I believe that I'm not sure who was this some sort of conversation, but it was definitely. Uh, I forget who he said he was talking to, but it was, it was definitely a very interesting uh, thing to to hear from him, was, especially he said he was like a younger player when uh, he had that type of conversation. So it's definitely very interesting to hear. Yeah, Dana was, oh, I'm going to, I forget how many years into a full-time career in the NHL when Larry came around six or seven. Uh, and it was very, some of the simple things that he taught that helped turn Dano and the rest of the Devils into a Stanley Cup championship organization. So, how, talk about the excitement you have about this organization, which you only joined in December while you were in, in the midst of the World Juniors, but now you're full-fledged devil, uh, about what excites you about the youngsters that you're a part of and the vision that Tom Fitzgerald and company have. Uh, no, it's it's definitely very exciting just because, uh, you know, I know a lot of these younger guys, so it's it's pretty cool just knowing a lot, like a bunch of the guys, uh, I only knew a couple on Arizona and you know, I made some good friends there, but uh, it's definitely cool to come to an organization where you, you, you know, a lot of these younger guys. Do you guys talk about what the future holds and how, if things go right, you can put the devils back on the map where they, you know, once held a position at the top of the league, didn't win every year, but they were a threat to do so every year. No, yeah, definitely, definitely be interesting just to get, uh, see what happens for that. But uh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get it. You want to play your first NHL game before you talk about winning a Stanley Cup. I, but well, listen, I, we're all excited about what you and the rest of the youngsters uh, will bring to this team, and uh, we don't want to rush the process. But we are excited about it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were voted third best body checker by the OHL coaches last year. You were voted the best defensive defenseman in the O last year by the coaches. In fact, that was a unanimous selection. You got all the first place votes this year, the O, and I know you won't be there, but the O will have no body checking when it returns uh, in February, assuming everything stays according to Hoyle. At least that's the last that I heard. Maybe there'll be a change. How odd do you you think that's going to be? 
Um, you know, body checking and, you know, that physical contact, uh, it's not about just like hitting a guy as hard as you can. Right. So there's, there's definitely a big obstacle. I'd like, I, I don't want to get too into it, but one of the biggest obstacles is just removing a guy from the puck because, you know, angling, angling a guy, and then he goes into the boards, you kind of just give him a bump end his momentum, take the puck. So there's going to be a lot of the scenarios where, like how, how is that going to happen? Because physicality is definitely one of the bigger things of the game, regardless of like these big hits, mm-hmm. there's hundred percent going to be contact every single shift. Right. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. And the most interesting thing is going to be how are some of these guys, like some of these players who are younger, how's their development going to change in terms of learning how to play the game defensively even offensively on the four check. So it's, uh, it's very interesting and just like to see how it uh, plays out. And tough too for right players who are in their draft year mm-hmm. you know, to have something yeah. so fundamentally change. Yeah. I, I don't think it'll affect those guys. I think uh, the biggest thing yeah. is just, you know what I mean? Because they have the, they have the skill level and, you know, they just have to put that on a pedestal, but for the younger guys, just developing is going to be very interesting. So I think practice is going to become even more important, just learning stuff like that. Well, it's a, it's interesting times to say the least, and uh, the OHL is going to try that at least uh, in this age of COVID. Uh, who are some of the, you said you knew a bunch of the devils when you came to the organization. And so that's made it easier, so to speak. I know you played with Ty Smith last year, for instance, and you know, Amanda mentioned some of the other Ottawa 67s uh, that you're teammates with, but what, uh, who are some of those better friends that you have? No, that was it. Just the, like Ty Smith and like the Ottawa 67s guys. I know that's, that's really what I was talking about there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Nolan Foote, who was on world juniors too. He just, he got traded as well. So like, I know a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. How do you pronounce Nikita's last name? Because I think we've we've gone through this with many people. Do you know the official pronunciation? Uh, there we go. Now we have it. From a guy who's <laughs> from a guy who's been in the room, that's for sure. Uh, so, how excited are like you must be just beyond belief excited to get your pro career started? Like, what's when did that dream begin for you? When did you say you know what or think? Every, everybody has that dream. I get it. You get on skates so I can play in the NHL. But when did it, it cross that line from hope to reality? Um, I think around when I got drafted to the like OHL draft year because I, I worked really hard before that year. So it was like one goal in mind and then getting drafted. It was, uh, it was pretty hard even then because when I came into camp, wasn't supposed to make the team. But then a player got injured on uh, defense. So then, you know, got kind of lucky, stuck around a couple games, the coaches, uh, they liked me. So they decided to keep me around. And then, uh, you know, things started going my way. I made U17s. That was huge. Played pretty well there. And then again, just stuck around for the season finished. I don't like, I didn't have a lot of points or anything, but it was, it was good to just gain the coach's trust and all that. And then uh, again, the next season rolled around. Like I worked really, really hard that off season. It was a, uh, it was definitely a grind in that one and, you know, working just to get drafted. So I, th- I think the, that dream started coming into mind right around that OHL draft. So, but again, like getting drafted to the OHL, the, 
at first it was like, Oh, I made it. I'm like, everything's awesome. Like, but the biggest lesson I learned from that was, you know, the, uh, the grind just starts, you know, so it, uh, you know, it's nice for the recognition, but again, the, the work really just started there. <laughs> and the work continues for Kevin ball. I'll, I'll let you go on this. I got to ask, did Dano tell you about the two minutes for brute strength? Two minutes, he, that that story. Uh, I think I saw it on uh, Scotty Gomez's <laughs> yeah. Instagram page. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, I know I, it. What is it? Well, no, it was just oh. he 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 just comes up with a strong heavy play, and is he going to the? He got called two minutes for roughing, and he just said to the referee as he was going off. Oh, right, right. You know, I you, you, you can't give me two minutes for brute strength. Like that's <laughs> that's just it. Yeah, I thought, I thought he said. Uh, I can't believe you gave me two minutes for being the strongest guy in the league or something. Like that. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, there was a bunch of lines like that. Dano had them all. That's for sure. There's no question. There's no question about that. Uh, but a great guy. And I'm sure you enjoyed that lunch. Well, Kevin, thanks very much for giving us some of your time. Uh, you're more excited than we are, but I can tell you right now, we're very excited to see everyone on the ice in the near term. So thanks very much. Thank you. Well, Amanda, we certainly hope to see Kevin Ball in a devil sweater real soon. What we do know is he will find a hockey-mad environment in New Jersey, as you can't ignore what New Jersey has done in terms of producing hockey players, both on the men's side and the women's side. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he seems to be a guy who's fired up and wants to make his mark. And I think that that lunch with Dano in particular is something that's going to be vitally important to the guys who sat down with Dano. So at one point, New Jersey might have been considered a hockey hinterland, but with the arrival of the Devils and then what the Philadelphia Flyers have been able to do to expand the sports footprint in the southern part of the state, New Jersey certainly takes its place among most states in terms of producing interest in the sport and players in the game. And that leads us to welcoming Catherine Bogart, to our podcast because, Catherine, it's not just able-bodied hockey players, uh, and forgive me if that's not the proper term, but it's not just able-bodied hockey players that the state produces. There are players who have done incredibly well on the international stage in sledge hockey as well. Exactly. And on December 3rd was International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And we had the honor to speak with two sled hockey players who hail from the state of New Jersey. Up on this week's podcast episode is Jack Wallace. He is from Franklin Lakes. For any of our fans who are from the area, you may know Jack. Jack has been a huge part of youth hockey and youth sled hockey in the state of New Jersey. He has quite a great story. And he is very proud of his New Jersey roots, which we dive into in this interview. I'm Jack Wallace. I'm from Franklin Lakes, New Jersey. I'm 22 years old. I'm a Paralympic gold medalist. I recently graduated from the College of New Jersey um, and I'm kind of a full-time sled hockey player. Where did you first get your love of hockey and how did you get your first love of hockey? Um, I feel like a lot of other people, it was you know, in the driveway, an older sibling played hockey. My older brother played hockey and one day he just needed a, a goalie. So he put the pads on me and started shooting at me. Um, but then I started playing around with him in the driveway and he kept playing around and I, and I loved it. And I transitioned into roller hockey and then ice hockey and uh, went from there. 
And when you first got involved in sled hockey, how did you find out about sled hockey and how was that transition from ice hockey to sled hockey? Um, I found out about sled hockey through a camp for uh, people with limb loss and limb difference. Uh, I wasn't, I was new to the world and didn't really know a lot about of adaptive sports. Um, but then we were looking for other options for me to do and, and hockey was still by far my favorite sport. So as soon as the option arose, I wanted to jump right onto it. So we found a local team in New Jersey, the Woodbridge uh, Warriors. Um, and, you know, I started playing and I fell in love all over again. Uh, it, it was an amazing experience to just be able to get back on the ice. Yeah, in 2010, I got to watch uh, the U.S. sled hockey team win gold in Vancouver on television. And then a teammate, Josh Pauls, uh, he brought his gold medal back to the youth you know, youth team showed it off one practice and that kind of set my sights on where I was going to go. So you met Josh back in the day after his first Paralympic gold medal. How has your relationship grown over the past 10 years from that moment when you met? Uh, I mean, it, it, it's transitioned all the way from mentor to teammate to, you know, really, really good friend. Uh, he's, he's been a, uh, he's been a mentor the whole way. He, he's been a role model. Uh, even before I was on the national team, uh, when I was on the development team, he would always check in with me, uh, see how I was doing, tell me what I needed to work on, see what the coaches were saying about me, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's been great. And now that, you know, he's the captain of the team and, and we get to share some of those moments together, knowing all the way back then, uh, he was almost like my start. He was the start of my career to play for the U.S. So it's pretty special. You're both from the state of New Jersey and you're both proudly from the state of New Jersey. How has that connection also helped you guys connect on a different level outside of the sport? Uh, it's great. Uh, whenever we're traveling or, or doing, or, you know, doing stuff together, we can always, uh, you know, always make jokes, make the Jersey jokes about, you know, bad drivers or good food or whatever, how, how badly we want a nice bagel or a good pizza, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it, we definitely have a similar background growing up. So, be great. You've gone from playing sled hockey and dreaming about being on the Paralympic team all the way through development teams to national teams to playing in the Paralympics yourself. What has your sled hockey career been like over these past 10 years? I mean, it's it definitely hasn't been a straight shot the whole way. Uh, there's definitely been some ups and downs. Um, but the one thing that's been consistent is uh, the, the USA hockey program's I mean, they, they've, they've taken me from a, you know, a young, young player with potential all the way to the player I am today. You know, if it wasn't for uh, their programs and their coaching, it's, um, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't be where I am at today. I was kind of lost on my own, to be totally honest. I didn't really have a coach, didn't really have a high level team to, to train or practice with. So at the development camps and with the development team and, and all the resources they give us, um, you know, it's really helped me progress and the player I am. For you, when you're representing not only the state of New Jersey, but also your country on the international stage playing sled hockey, what impact does that have on you knowing you're representing others? Uh, it's incredibly humbling. Uh, and it's also a huge source of motivation to know that uh, not only are you representing, obviously, um, the country, but every single person that would that wants to be in your spot, that wants to be there, that maybe couldn't be never got there. Um, uh, it's a huge source of motivation to do the absolute best you can at any given moment. 
And for you to be able to show people that a loss of a limb doesn't end your career, actually just started a whole new career for you in a whole different sport. What advice and what have you learned going through that experience and switching over to sled hockey? Yeah, it's it's really about how you react. Um, it's it's all up to you where 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 your likes you. Uh, you shouldn't shouldn't care about what happens to you. You should just keep on striving. And my biggest motto is <clears throat> is uh, you you get out what you put in. So pretty much if you want to get somewhere, uh, you can, there is a level of work that you can put in to get there. And if you really want it, then that's what you have to do. How have you seen sled hockey grow in the state of New Jersey throughout the past few years? And what do you hope for it to continue to grow? Oh, it's been amazing. Um, you know, back when I was a kid, it was just, uh, there were not maybe even two or three programs. Uh, and now there's a good handful of them and and I go and the rinks are always full and the rosters are always full and they don't really have too much trouble getting funding and too much trouble getting uh, enough players but at the same time you know it's it's an ever-growing sport and it's in it's driven by a lot of nonprofits and donations as, as there's not a lot of big sponsors for it so in the future I would love to see not only in New Jersey but across the country um, I know the NHL has a lot of initiatives with uh, sled hockey, as well as the New Jersey Devils have initiatives with sled hockey. So I definitely want to continue to see that grow and, and see that that flourish. Why is it so important to have days that represent like International Day of Persons with Disabilities? It's always important to be represented for even just the young kid out there to, you know, to not feel as alone because as a young kid for me, uh, growing up, I was the only amputee I knew. I didn't have a friend in school that was an amputee, but if I can, if I can turn on the TV and see someone with a prosthetic running around or doing something, or even just in a movie, um, um, it's, it, it really makes you feel included. It, it really is a sense of pride and, and it definitely helps. Even if some people don't get it, if you don't understand it, uh, coming from me, it really helps to be represented. Go a little bit more into sled hockey, the sport, the fun. What is your, when you get onto the ice, and you're just warming up. What feeling do you get being on that ice playing sled hockey? Oh, it's total elation just about every time when the when the when the boys are going and the music's bumping during a during a warm up for any game, regardless if it's uh, you know a gold medal game or just like a scrimmage with Team Canada or something like that. It's uh, or even just a uh, inter squad scrimmage. It's pretty amazing. You know, everyone's smiling, everyone's laughing. You know, you're just trying to not mess up so people don't see a mess up, but you're also trying to you know get get in the right headspace for the game, but it's so much fun. What has sled hockey brought into your life? Oh, sled hockey's given me just about everything I have right now. To be honest, it's, it's turned me into the man I am today. It's, it's given me so many good habits that I've been able to translate outside of hockey. Uh, I graduated college uh, with a degree in biomedical engineering and, and the same, uh, you know, the same work ethic that I brought to hockey, I brought to school and was able to graduate in four years, uh, while also training for hockey all four years, you know, so it, it definitely, uh, it, it just helped me develop so many good habits that I can bring outside of life, outside of hockey. If you were looking back to your younger you, where you look at a kid who is maybe going through the same situation that you did when you were younger, they're feeling a little bit lost. They don't really have, you know, the, the drive yet. They don't know how they can get through this event. What advice would you give to them or to a younger you? Younger me. Um, I think it's got to be the same. Uh, you know, you get out what you put in. 
uh, it's, that's it. It's, you know, one plus one equals two. If you want to get somewhere, you got to put the work in. Nothing else is going to be given to you. Nothing else. You can't expect anything to be given to you. Um, regardless of the situation, you got to put the work in. And last question, you and Josh are both these, you know, leaders for New Jersey, especially in the sled hockey world. How do you feel that you both have represented your state when representing not only on the ice, but representing what New Jersey and what New Jersey sled hockey is all about? Not sure. I think we've both (laughs) done a pretty good job. Uh, Other than both of us having moved out of the state. (laughs) Um, but we definitely have our roots here and we definitely want to come back here as often as possible and support the programs here and support the state as much as possible. But I think everywhere you go, uh, just about everywhere you go, if you say you're from New Jersey, people always are like, oh, and there's always just a little hint of, oh, I kind of, they don't know how to feel about that. But I think we do a good job at pointing them in the right direction, making it a positive experience. Catherine, what a terrific story, a story of perseverance, uh story of success, accomplishment, and, you know, just a tip of the cap uh, to Jack for all he's been able to do. Yeah, and Jack is just getting started because he already has one Paralympic gold medal in his first Paralympics appearance ever. We will hear next week from Josh Pauls, his teammate, who is also from New Jersey. And Josh says that Jack was always going to be on this national team. He saw Jack's talent from years ago. So to have someone like Josh Pauls, who I know you both know, Um, give you that compliment, a three-time Paralympic gold medalist and the captain of the U.S. National Sled Hockey Team is quite a feat. So we appreciate Jack coming on, and we look forward to hearing more about Josh and his story as well. Well, we have met Josh before, Amanda. The most recent appearance was in St. Louis a couple of seasons ago when he had his gold medal with him, and I don't care – Anytime you see a gold medal, it never gets old. I don't Everyone care if you see. flocked to him. Yeah. Everybody flocked to him. And, and it's funny. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it's so true. Like, he... he Everyone went in his direction and he came into the locker room after practice. And I remember just watching him and the other guys interact and... Everyone just wanted to hold the medal, touch the medal, see how heavy it was. It, it was it was really cool. I know it was really cool for him because I was talking to him outside the locker room before that. And he's like, you know, like, I grew up a big fan of this team. Like, this is really cool for me. And I was like, well, I think it's going to be really cool for them to meet you, too, because you're a peer. You're, you're a peer. You're someone who plays hockey at the highest level. Yeah, and uh, the gold medal was certainly a sight to see. Yeah, having met Josh a few times now, he's an inspiration. And Catherine, that's what it's all about is, you know, we celebrate as a day, but the organization, a little more broad-based, celebrating it over a longer period of time, International Day of Persons with Disabilities. There's nothing that holds anybody back if they put their mind to it anymore. Exactly, and representation is so important. And I think Jack Wallace and both Josh Paul's have that on their hearts when they play, when they represent, when they're out in the community. And it's so important because it's not about a disability. They're people. And it's and it's so much in the past, it's been about, oh, this is a disabled person. That's not at all. It's a person with a disability. And we're just happy that we're able to share their stories. And for our listened in last year, they may have heard a little bit about Evan's call, which was a story we featured on last year's 
International Day of Persons with Disabilities. So you can go on the social media channels of the devils and you should be able to find that story as well. Absolutely. That was a blast having uh, Evan in the broadcast booth and he did such a great job. Well, that'll wrap things up for this this edition of Speak of the Devils. We look forward to a part two, if you will, of the interview, Catherine, when uh, Josh Paul's jo- Paul joins us next week. Amanda, we'll Talk to you shortly as well. For all of you who tuned in, thanks for your company. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye.